listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Well, I want to begin this morning with a quote. It's a quote from someone named Emil Brunner, who is a 20th century theologian. And this is what he says. The church exists by mission, just as fire exists by burning. The church exists by mission, just as fire exists by burning. We're in the middle of a series on missionaries, where we are coming to see and to understand that not only do we serve a missionary God, but we are called to serve as His missionary people. And when we talk about mission and missions, oftentimes we do so as if it were a separate program, kind of its own thing, like maybe this particular group of people supports these missionaries, or the women's ministry does that, or, or that sort of thing. But what this quote reveals is that mission is not just part of what the church does, it's part of who we are. It's part of who we are. Every ministry we do, every program that we have, every relationship that we build is all geared toward God's mission to redeem and restore a lost and broken world. And he calls us as his missionaries to go, therefore, and be a part of that. For our first Sunday, we talked about our mission here at Elam, right? Because there's this, this general sense in which we are called to participate. But we, we like to think in very specifics, right? Because God has, has called us to be a mission outpost here in the Osakis community, in the, the greater Todd County area and beyond, Right? So, so what is our mission here? What are we all about? Well, here at Elam, we rest in the gospel, we grow in Christ, and we love our communities. Why don't you say that with me? We rest in the gospel, we grow in Christ, and we love our community. We rest in the gospel because the gospel is something to be believed and trusted in and not something we perform on ourselves. We also grow in Christ, right? Because faith is not something that's static, but it's dynamic. And it, it grows and it matures. And through the, the study of God's Word and the fellowship of other believers, we grow in our faith. We, grow in, we rest in the gospel. We grow in Christ. And also, we love our community. See, good works is the other side of the coin of faith. A faith that is living and active will go out and, and do good works. So this is, this is who we are, and this is what we covered in our first week of this, this series on missionaries. Last week was our, our second week. And for last week, what we did was we did like a, a brief flyover of kind of the entire Bible from, from Genesis to Revelation, and we looked at a number of different instances where we come to see that God is a missionary God, right? God is on a mission. He has been since the book of Genesis, since Adam and Eve ate the fruit, broke the world, What's the next thing that God does? He promises to send a Savior. He promises to send someone into the world, this seed of Eve who would crush the head of Satan. 
right? Who would defeat all the forces, all the powers of evil. And so Jesus, he's already creating this, this solution way back at the beginning. And throughout the whole Bible, we see God bringing this, this mission to completion, first through Israel and then now through us, the church. We are a church that is sent. We are God's missionaries. And today, now that we know we have a missionary God, we want to understand how we are a missionary church. And to do that, I'm going to read what's probably the most well-known missionary-type passage in the New Testament. This is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. You heard part of it in that video we just watched. So this is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It's known as the Great Commission. And I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would be present here among us this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do his work upon our hearts, upon our minds. And God, would you open up your word to us, God, that we would understand who you are and how we are to live in light of that, God, being your people. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. What does Jesus say? All authority has been given to me, therefore, go. Go and make disciples by baptizing and teaching. We are called as a church, we are sent, we are commissioned to go. I don't know about you, but I kind of wish he had just said come. Right? Like, I'm a lot better at just telling people, hey, come, come to church, come you know, come, come and join us. But he doesn't. He says, go. Exit the doors of your church. Exit the doors of your, your Christian community and go into all the world and make disciples. Now, this little, this one word, go, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on the word go. Okay, ready for this? Uh, not really, kind of though. Go. There's, there's, there are three, what I see as barriers, three hurdles that we often face when we are called to go. Three things that keep us kind of misconceptions about what the church is and what we are here to do. Three barriers to us going. You ready for this? Three barriers. Barrier number one. 
The church is not a building. Church is not a building. It's not a physical place. It's not a a locale. It's not a destination point. It's interesting the way that we use the word church because a lot of times we talk about it that way, don't we? We're getting up on, on Sunday mornings. Where are you going? Well, I'm, I'm headed to church. So we get in the car, load up the family, get to the church parking lot, open the, the vehicles. Everybody enters the doors of the, the church, right? This brick and mortar kind of structure. And we, we use that. And I, I think some of that's inevitable, right? Just because like the way language works. But we speak of and we think of the church as being a physical place and a building, don't we? Even church names are oftentimes geared toward this understanding. First Street Baptist Church. Where's that? Well, it's on First Street. Or what about that, that church on the corner over there? Well, that's, we're defining the church and we're speaking of it in terms of where it is geographically as being a physical building and being a physical space. But it's interesting when we turn to Scripture, particularly the New Testament, we think of the writings of the Apostle Paul, and that's not how he talks about church. When, God, when Paul speaks of the church, he is talking about people and not a building. Church is people. It's not a place. It's not a physical structure. Listen to just how he opens his letter in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, to the church of God in Corinth. To the church of God in Corinth. There's the church, right? There are these these people, these believers who have gathered together. That is the church of God, and they happen to be in Corinth. That's just the area that that this church exists in and ministers in, right? This is just one example, but he does this again and again, distinguishing between the place that the church serves and the church itself, the church being people rather than than a place. And it's very interesting, too, because this is something that the church has confessed throughout all of its history. In fact, one of our confessions that we adhere to here at Elam is called the Augsburg Confession. It was written back in in the 1500s, but, but even way back then, there is this definition of the church. Listen to this. The church is the assembly of saints in which the gospel is taught purely and the sacraments are administered rightly. I want you to focus on the first part of that statement. The church is the what? Assembly of saints. In other words, the church is wherever God's people are, Right? There's no mention in this definition of a building. There's no mention of a physical structure. There's no mention of a place or or a destination. It is simply where God's people are, wherever we happen to be at any given moment, that is where God's church is. Now, what are the the practical implications of this? Well, I think this this is actually really important. What that means for us is that, for example, this this is not the church. 
this right here is not the church. This right here is not the church. Does not the church. You are the church. Each and every one of you is God's church. Now, that is not to say by any means that the church building is not important. God gives us and has been so faithful, and I'm not speaking just of, of Elam, but this is in, in, in every church. He's been so faithful to provide physical spaces for people to, to meet and to gather. And it only makes sense that if you have a bunch of people that are getting together, you know, it's nice to be out of the elements and it's good to have a space where that sort of uh, learning and conversation and stuff can continue. So buildings are a wonderful blessing. But the thing is, you can have a church without a building. You can't have a church without people. In fact, the early church never had buildings. They were just meeting in people's houses. It was just wherever this group meets, that is the church. So that's barrier number one. The church is not a building, which is not to say that buildings aren't important, but they're of secondary importance, right? They're not primary. That's important to affirm because we easily get those mixed up. Church is not a building. Number two, the church is not just Sunday morning. Church is not just Sunday morning. I'm going to tell you a joke. You've probably heard it before, but I don't care because it's really funny. I think it's funny. It's early Sunday morning, and a mom runs into her kid's room, and she bursts open and, you know, his door, and she pulls the covers off of him, and she says, come on, what are you doing? You've got to get up. You've got to get to church. We've got church today. And her son says, you know what? I'm not going to church. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to church. She said, well, why not? He said, well, two reasons. One, I don't like them. And number two, they don't like me. Mom looks back at her son and says, well, I got two good reasons you should go to church. Number one, you're 46 years old. And number two, you're the pastor. That's not me just to clarify. In all honesty, I really look forward to Sunday mornings. Like, I grew up in a, in a small farming community, and we had no reason to get dressed up. I wore a tie, like, twice in my life before my wedding. It's hardly an exaggeration. But now I get to be a pastor, and I get to, I get to wear a tie every Sunday. How cool is that? Like, I get to dress up a little bit. We get to see the people that we have this eternal connection to, right? We get to, to fellowship with one another. We get to sing. Uh, and probably it's just because I'm like a Bible dork or something, but I like learning from God's Word, and I like being around God's people. And in fact, for me, Sunday morning, I look at it in the same way that maybe a football team would look forward to Sunday, the big game, right? So I kind of spend all week preparing and in diving deep into God's Word and, and doing research. And then Sunday, I finally get to come before you guys and to like share all of these treasures that I've, I've been able to mine. So Sunday, oftentimes, we look at as being the culminating event of 
our lives as Christians. But that can also be problematic. Now, I think what's helpful is if we understand an important distinction. This is a distinction that Tim Keller makes, and I think others have picked up on it. And it's very good, it's very important. A distinction between the church gathered and the church dispersed, okay? Church gathered and the church dispersed. We here right now on Sunday morning, we're gathered together, right? We're all as one group, hearing from God's Word, worshiping, etc. We do this throughout the week. We have youth group. We have Bible studies. We have all these times when we get together as God's people. But we don't just stay together as God's people, do we? What we do is we leave those groups, we leave those, those buildings, we leave the church structure as we will today, and the rest of our time we are all dispersed, right? The church dispersed out in our own spheres of influence, in our own areas of life, and in our own families, and everybody's is a little bit different. And the thing is, I mean, if you, if you add up the percentages of time that you spend as the church gathered versus the church dispersed, there's really no comparison. Even if you're like a really, really good Christian and say you spend five, six hours a week in church, that still means that about 96% of your time is spent outside the walls of this church building. That's a lot of time. And the thing is, you and I, because we know the church is people, you and I are no less the church when we are out and about in our daily lives than we are here gathered together on Sunday mornings. You're the church Monday through Saturday, just as much as Sunday mornings. Church gathered versus the church dispersed. Last weekend, there was the CLB well, not last weekend, I guess it would have been about a week ago. There was a CLB convention in Fergus Falls. And, and one of the guys who gave a message, his name is Pastor Chris Priestaff, pastor out in, in Pennsylvania. You can go back and, and listen to these messages. I think they're up now. But the whole point of, of his message was basically this. He said, disciples come and go. Disciples of, of Jesus, which is to say the church, we come and we go. We come to Jesus, we come together on a Sunday morning to feed on His Word, to worship Him in song, to, to encourage and, and to pray for one another, right? We, we come, then we go. We go, which is what the Great Commission calls us to do. I think that's a good way to think of it. The church comes and the church goes. So there's a necessary shift that has to happen for us in the way that we understand our weeks and, and even Sunday mornings. We have to see that the Sunday morning service is not the destination, but, but more of a rest stop, a pit stop along the way. You know, at a pit stop, you go to be refueled and, and to be refreshed. And it's important for us to see that as the purpose of Sunday mornings. This is not an end in and of itself. This is the means by which we are refueled to go into the world to make disciples of all nations, to be God's missionaries, right? In our work, where we play, at school. So, 
The necessary shift that has to happen is to go from a come and see mentality to a go and tell. Shifting from come and see to go and tell. See the difference there? Church is not a building. Church is not just Sunday morning. Number three, church is not yours or mine. Church is not yours or mine. This is a great little book uh, with a very disturbing title called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. But it's fascinating what the author of this, Tom Rainier, does. Uh, he goes back and he looks at a number of churches after they have died to see what went wrong, what was it that, that actually caused the death of the church. And I want to read you just a little bit of this one chapter. And he, he's telling a, a story about a, a meeting that, that happened. And he's going to get in, into the history of, of what went wrong there. So I'm just going to, going to read you these couple of pages. To say the room was tense would be a massive understatement. It was eight years before the death of the church, but few in that room could have predicted the church's demise. The church had bounced back a bit during the past year. Since most of the members would not allow any contemporary elements in the very state and traditional service at 11 a.m., some younger adults started their own contemporary service at 8.30. Bible study classes fit between the two services. Of course, the 8.30 service was really not that contemporary by modern standards. An acoustic guitar, some contemporary songs, along with the more traditional hymns. A keyboard instead of the organ, but it was really more blended than anything. The new service did provide the first growth in the church in two decades. The previous year, attendance had dipped from 75 to 62, but the new service added 30 people in average attendance. So the church was at a five-year high of 92 in worship attendance. As the younger adults invited friends to the first service, they kept hearing the same refrain. We like the service, but it would be better for us and our children if the service was later. The solution seemed simple. Move the traditional service to 8.30 and the contemporary service to 11. Wrong. The change required a church vote. At least that's what some of the members said. No one could find any confirmation. So it was time for the meeting. It was time for the business session from Hades. There were about 150 people present. That included members who had not been to church in five years or more. That included people most others did not know. It was obvious what was taking place. Members had recruited others to come to the meeting to vote not to change. The exchange of words was harsh. Accusations were made. Guitars were declared to be of the devil. Careful, Jim. One member declared he would let the church die before that change was made. He would get his way eight years later. The vote was not close. Nothing changed. Well, that's not exactly true. The first service ceased five weeks later. Attendance dropped to 43 by the end of the year. And less than eight years later, the church closed its doors. 
It's a sad story. And it's a story of not just one particular church, but this is a very common type of thing, whether it's over music or, or any million of, of, of other, other things, right? Where we come to see, come to view, come to, to believe that this, this church, this ministry, this program, whatever, is mine. It's mine. And I tell you, man, I have to remind myself of this truth because I am as susceptible to it as anyone. It is so easy for me as your pastor to think of this church at times as Pastor Luke's church. Let me confess that to you. I think that's a tendency that that we as human beings fall into. I think that's a tendency that pastors in particular are susceptible, susceptible to because this is where I, I spend the majority of, of my time and, and my efforts, and, and I really do want to see this church thrive. And the prayer that, that I have to pray, this is the prayer that I pray oftentimes on Sunday mornings. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain, right? If it's just me building something, if it's just you building something, it's just a particular group of people who kind of want to do their own thing, it's not going to work. The Lord's not present in that. God has to be the one who's building this house, right? Otherwise, it's all, all for nothing. Now, it's only natural that we feel some sort of ownership for particular ministries, right? Things that, that we pour our hearts and, and souls into for years and years, and we're faithful to that, and many people are, are blessed for that. And we all have different hopes and, and dreams and, and visions, and this is a, a wonderful thing. But man, I got to tell you, guys, as human beings, we get a little bit territorial sometimes, don't we? We get a little bit controlling. We come, we come to see that and believe that, that, that this is mine or this is yours or, or that's that particular person's ministry. That's that person's particular um, thing. We come to see, we come to believe that this church is, is mine or, or this ministry is mine or yours. But what we need to remember is what we are told in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 28. says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Here it is. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. See, the church is God's. It's Christ's bride. He purchased it with his own shed blood. This is God's church. It's his mission. He's doing everything. We just kind of get to come along for the ride. Every square inch, every program, every table, every pew, every pulpit is His. See, God loved the church so much. In fact, He loved the world so much that He gave Himself for us. Jesus tells us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go. That's the command. That's the law. And you've been hearing 
whole lot of law this morning, haven't you? So what is the gospel here? What is the good news that we at Elam can rest in? Because we are people who rest in the gospel. Well, it's there in that passage that I read, but it's in the last verse of the last chapter of Matthew's gospel, verse 20b. Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you when? Always. The phrase literally means every day, all of the days. See, even as Jesus sends his disciples out, he sends us out. We never go alone, do we? Everywhere his disciples go, there goes Jesus too. He doesn't give us marching orders and then retreat to his castle. Like, good luck making disciples, guys. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. It's not how Jesus works, is it? He is with us always. In fact, he gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us, to propel us outward beyond the four walls of the church building. And there is never a nanosecond of your life where God is not with you. I love what Matthew Henry says about this particular passage. He says, The God of Israel, the Savior, is sometimes a God that hideth himself, but never a God at a distance. See, God is never at a distance. At times, he may seem hidden. We may not be able to perceive him, but that doesn't mean his promise to be with us and to never leave us nor forsake us is any less true, just because we can't sense it. So despite the failures and inadequacies of his disciples, God's mission to redeem and restore a lost and broken world will not fail. Though we, like Peter, often deny him with our words and actions, and like the other disciples, far too often we just care too much about our own skins, right? All the disciples abandon Jesus in the end. And yet God continually calls us to repentance, to confess, because whenever we confess, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Because God still treat, refuses to treat us as our sins deserve. As Paul says in Colossians, he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Friends, wherever you go, there goes Jesus. May you rest in that truth this week as you once again enter the mission field. You are loved, you are forgiven, and you are blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkj 
O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.